And the only reason I sent you like a couple of things that I wanted us to talk about was because, I mean, this year was just so topsy turvy and we could go off on tangents forever talking about everything in 2021, but I kind of wanted to just kind of, you know, give it a little bit of structure and stay the course. So we're not on here for hours and hours, just kind of talking about the same stuff that everybody else talks about. Well, happy holidays, everyone, and happy new year from the both of us here from the GOAT Zoom room. We are doing our end of the year in review pod. It's actually being taped at the beginning and the first day of 2022, but no better to put the previous year in the review mirror and kind of do um, some housekeeping notes and to review it and reflect than the start of a new day. So Andy and I are just going to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened in 2021, some of our grievances, some things we thought were positive, and we're going to do kind of like an early eclipse ballot type of thing. So Andy, let me kind of think about some of the things that I sent you earlier, kind of what I was wanting to talk about. And we'll start off on a kind of a positive note before we kind of air grievances and just kind of talk about the industry as a whole. Um, what horse are you most looking forward to in the United States next year and then globally? The United States, it's kind of hard because you never know who, who's going to run. I know. Honesty. Um, it's kind of frustrating. Uh, right now, I'd like to see Hot Rod Charlie again, but I know he's going overseas. Um, he, Based on, from what I from what I found out today, I guess Doug O'Neill sending like ten horses over to Dubai for the World Cup Carnival, and Hot Rod Charlie's one of them, and he's running in round two supposedly. So, um, I would say probably Hot Rod Charlie. Um, if Modern Games didn't get uh, retired, I'd probably say Modern Games if they decide to bring him back next year. Interesting. Well, I don't think Modern Games will be retired since he is now just three, and I'm sure they're looking forward to, you oh, know. Oh, that's right. He is three, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Feels like I'm so sure, long ago. I know. I'm sure they're looking to, you know, the Epsom Derby, the 2000 Guineas, or even the Kentucky Derby with that type of horse. I know a lot of people liked his bottom side breeding was like, you know, maybe we should try this horse on the dirt because he's won on synthetic and Dubawi is all dirt influence, even though he's good on turf. So they can run on a lot of different things. So would be kind of interesting to see him on the dirt. I would say my answers are going to be echo Zulu for the U S because I think the sky could just be the limit for her. I'm anxious to see, you know, what she could turn into kind of like an untappable or even to the heights of Rachel Alexandra. She reminds me of both of those Phillies. So we'll see what she does in her three-year-old campaign. And then beyond the United States, I would probably say Baid over in Europe. He has been, you know, just nothing short of impressive putting, I believe, together five for five races in 2021 after just debuting in the summer, kind of as a very late blossoming horse. And I'm anxious to see, you know, if they bring him over maybe for the Breeders' Cup mile or if he runs in the Dubai turf or something like that. I'm very excited about that horse. So those would probably be my two answers. Yeah. I think, I think 
I've got two for overseas right now. And, and because I've been following Dubai pretty closely since December, um, Kafu's one of them because he's just been. Kafu is awesome. Kafu is just, I, he was, his second career start, he was dead beat. He should not have won that race and he still grinded it out. And then the other one is uh, looking at Lucky's sister, who, who again, was impressive today and won uh, Shama, Shahama. Um, and they're thinking of bringing her over here for the, for the Oaks. So that'll be interesting. Hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting things going on, you know, on the Kentucky Derby Trail, on the Kentucky Oaks Trail, just... I don't know. This is a really weird year, in my opinion, for a lot of obvious reasons with a lot of that stuff going on, which I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about um, in this podcast. And, you know, once we're done with this podcast, I don't know about you, but until some major decisions and major moves are made, I'm kind of, you know, wanting to not necessarily sweep that under under the rug, but kind of put it to put it to bed and put it to the side for a little while. One thing I'm really wanting to focus on in 2022 is trying to be a little bit more positive in an industry that's kind of hard to be positive because I know it's very easy to be negative because there's a lot of negative things going on around us right now but I mean yeah there's just a lot happened this past year good and bad so what's what's a good memory that you think of when you think of horse racing in 2021 And you, you always put me on the spot on that. Um, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I think the, I think, I know people are going to get mad at me for this, but Nick Sko being able to get a mile and a quarter. And I know, I know that there's people saying negative things about the trainer. And I'm one of them that if you ask me uh, privately, I'll tell you my thought process, but um I just think, I just think he was so good and nobody went with him. And, you know, everybody thought that Baffert was going to be able to get an early lead in the Breeders' Cup Classic. He wasn't uh, with Medina Spirit and Nick Sko just ran him off their feet. And until, and, and, you know, we get to see him one more time in uh, three weeks, four weeks. Um, I can't wait. Nick's go really has been an underrated and underappreciated horse, in my opinion, this year. I mean, clear choice to be the horse of the year and just has had a wonderful campaign this year. I mean, I would say to kind of piggyback off of that a little bit, my, you know, probably my biggest thing that's been positive for horse racing this year, especially in the United States, is we have a really good horse crop right now. I know a good bit of them are retired after the Breeders' Cup or retiring after the Pegasus and, you know, beyond. But I mean, we have a pretty good older handicap division. We have some good older mares that are sticking around. The three-year-old Colts, in my opinion, eh, not sure how I feel right now. There's some really good three-year-old fillies and I'm anxious to see what two-year-olds can blossom this year as well as they start to race, you know, in the summer and in the fall. But I think you know, we're lacking a huge superstar right now, even though like, you know, flight line has just gotten started and Nick's go had a spectacular 2021. I just think the horse crop right now is so good. I thought the 
three-year-old class from last year, which is their now four-year-olds, was especially tough. Aside from essential quality, all of those horses are going to be running on next year in the older male division. And I, I'm just really excited about the classic division next year or this year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So am I, I mean, I can't, you know, the, the one thing that kind of frustrates me is the fact that we don't get to see essential quality again. Um, yeah. I would have liked to have seen him again this year and see how he would have developed, uh, you know, but it goes back to the fact that, he's probably going to make more money in the breeding shed than he is going to be on the racetrack. And so, you know, Godolphin decides that that's how they want to do it. So that's what they're going to do. And I'm not going to poo-poo Godolphin for it because they usually do a pretty good job of, of campaigning a lot of their horses that for their four or five year old years, um, when they deem it necessary. So I'll just, Keep it at that. As far as flight lines concerned, I can't get excited about a horse that's that only runs once every every uh, blood moon. You know, it, it's just ridiculous. Right. Um, uh, I, I guess that would be my negative my negative deal. It's like great, he's a great horse, he's wonderful, but you know, if Sadler's already coming out saying that he's not running until May, something's wrong with him. I don't care what people are saying online. Something is amiss. Huge amiss, not a little one. And I know, I know a couple of issues that have sprung up on him um, as far as his feet are concerned, but you know, he, he doesn't have the smoothest running style. If you, if you really look like Barry, like Barry Spears said, he, he doesn't have that. He's not smooth moving. So you can, you, you can see why he, he takes so long to get, why he has to come back. And so, you know, after five months, six months. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I know the horse does have bad feet, but I think, you know, there could be some other things going on there as well. I, one thing that, you know, Alan and CCI listened to their airing of grievances the past couple of days, um, on some longer drives that I've been having. And so a lot of what they said, you know, covered all the bases for me for things that have been wrong and right in the industry this past year. But when it comes to flight line, I'm with you. Do I think he's a superior horse and maybe one of the best we've seen in a long time? Yeah, I do think so but it's not going to feel as special. It's going to kind of, you know, be like justify or, you know, even American Pharaoh, you could argue, even though American Pharaoh did have a pretty long campaign, his three-year-old season and his two-year-old year. I mean, it's kind of just like a shooting star. It's there and then it's gone They're They come like a thief in the night and then they disappear. But, you know, when it comes to flight line, it's not that he's having a short campaign. He's taking so long in between races and, uh, like you said, other than the feet, I'm really not sure why that is. And the fact that they have his races already pretty much mapped out for next year. And there's only going to be like, what, four of them he's yeah. running every three or four months. And they already know what races they're going to, you know, draw a star around. It's like, well, what if the horse is, you know, ready a little bit sooner in two months or something, just because you've already told the public that he's going to the Met mile or whatever, he's not going to race again. And all he's going to do is turn in a bunch of works. I mean, I don't know. And one thing that's a question mark to me, and this will really prove his greatness. And I'm, I'm a big fan of John Sadler as a trainer. I'll just say that, but 
his horses don't ship very well. Nope. And you mean to tell me that that horse is going to come off like a five month layoff and go win the Met Mile? That, that to me just seems like a pipe dream. He's got to have some type of a prep, whether it be locally or somewhere else for me to even, you know, believe that with any stretch of imagination. So I don't know. The whole thing with that horse is just super weird, but the way he beat that Malibu field and that was a good Malibu field too. Uh, it was just, it was extremely impressive. See, and I didn't think that Malibu field was all that impressive to be honest with you. Really? I, uh, yeah. I, I just, nothing other, you know, you knew Dr. Scott Scheibel was going to bounce. And other than that, there wasn't really any horse, maybe baby Yoda, but baby Yoda seems to be like one of those horses that will end up winning a lot of listed stakes races back in New York yeah. and in Kentucky. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't like, okay, great. You beat a, you beat a crop, but you should have run against the best of the best if you were sound enough to run in the Breeders' Cup. And if you're not, then I can't help you. I, I can't, I can't get excited, nor can I say you're one of the greatest horses I've ever seen. If I'm only seeing you once, twice, you know, three times a maybe kind of deal. It, it's kind of like, he would have God. You know, so that those are the issues I have with when when you you know you here we go with the age thing again, but I'll say it. You know, you weren't alive to see some of those iron horses, right? Right. So what you what you know, and it, it went back to it went back to my Twitter account, Twitter comment when someone said about. Um, flight line you know uh in gordo in gordo basically saying hey look at this i you know he just won a great graded stakes for a grade three or grade two stake race malibu he's a million dollar purchase woohoo and everybody's giving him high fives number one great he won a race great he's great that horse has not even come close to making the million dollars you purchased on him and there is no guarantee that that horse is sound enough that he's going to make you the money in the in in the stud area. There just isn't because if if tomorrow Sadler says, "Well, we can't run on him anymore. We can't do anything with him anymore." He's going to stud, and he's not going to go for. You can't put a horse value at five at twenty five thirty thousand dollars off of three races. You just can't. No, and especially one that is suspect with soundness issues. I mean, do I think his value in the breeding shed is probably more than he's going to make on the track this year? Eh, probably. But I, that's not a horse I would want to breed to, if I'm being quite honest with you. No, I mean, and, obviously. But, and that kind of gets, that's kind of one of the, that's kind of like one of the big negatives I'll talk about later, but um you know, people are complaining about the way the breed is and why we can't run horses back and forth, but they're part of the problem. They're seriously part of the problem. Absolutely. And I mean, is, you know, impressive as that horse has been sure it would be amazing to pass on his talent, but you also get the negative effects yep. that come with it. And I mean, you know, the tappets are kind of hit or miss when it comes to soundness and, Indian Charlies don't always throw the soundest runners and it, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a weird thing. So that's kind of been a weird thing for me. And I saw people comparing this horse to like 
Dr. Fager and a few other words on Twitter. And I was like, that's really big to say. I mean, the one that I thought of when I kind of think of him and I still think it's too early is he reminds me a little bit of Ghost Sapper. But he he doesn't for me. I mean, not yet, maybe, but he'll never get I, I will, I'm willing, I am willing to bet a steak dinner at the precinct that that horse will never go two turns ever win at two turns. I'm saying it right here, right now, that that horse will never win at two turns in a graded stakes race. And you get the precinct. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you that horse is not going to get to that horse is not going to get a mile. So you think his chances in the Met Mile are nil, nada? The Met Mile, okay, let me read. I said two turns, not one. <laughs> right? You said the horse will never get a mile. That's a mile. Okay, let, let, let's rephrase it. The horse will never be able to, okay, you know what? A two-turn I am going to say it. He's not going to win the Met Mile. He won't win the Met Mile. He won't get, he won't. He is a six furlong to six and a half furlong horse. He might be able to get, he got seven the other day, but that was a bad field. So I'll, I'll go, I'll even go that step and say he will not win the Met Mile. And I will, if I lose, I'll be more than happy to have Jeff Ruby make sure that you get food and I will pay for it. And you can take Kyle. It'll be on me. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not so sure I disagree with you, if I'm being honest. I mean, who knows who's going to come out of the woodworks between now and May or June, what have you. So, I mean, I guess that kind of leads back into some of our other points when we're talking about, you know, kind of things that happens this year and beyond. Is there anything you would change about the Triple Crown in any way, shape, or form? Just any of it, anything about it? No, never, ever. No, I mean, the reason why they did the Triple Crown is because they wanted to get the horse that was able to do three different disciplines of, of route running and be able to prov- prove that that horse is capable of running those three races in that short amount of time. Because back in the day when that, the races were there, some of those horses ran every other week and they didn't have a problem. Right. So I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'll go as far as to say that when I look at horses, I want, I look at horses that are going to be able to better the breed, not make the breed worse. I think that's where, that's where, that's where the mistakes are being made where people are like, Oh, we got to do something about the triple crown. We got to separate it by four weeks, blah, 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 blah. You know what? Why don't you work on the breed? So this way you can do what it was intended to, to run in that short frame period. I think really the only thing I would have a grievance about is I personally think that the new starting gate at Churchill, the 20 stall starting gate that they got from Australia that they used for like the Melbourne cup and stuff like that. I think it's almost worse than the one that we've had because it didn't solve any problems. Horses are still getting slammed in that 14 to 17 post position gap. It's like the gap is still there. And I think honestly, you know, it it really fixed nothing. Okay, so my question to you: How much of that situation of the slamming 
has more to do with the jockeys trying to get position than it does with the gate. That's the problem. That to me. Exactly. That is the whole problem. So I like, don't understand why we spent all of this money on this huge gate for it to horses. If you like a horse in 14 through 17, you might as well not even bet them because they get screwed every year. As soon as those gates open. So, I mean, I guess that's not really a grievance because like you said, it, it doesn't matter that it's kind of a thing with the jockeys, the way they're trying to, you know, shuffle for space as soon as you fling those gates open. But I mean, it's just something that pisses me off every year, no matter what. I mean, the, pro- the problem is, is that they have way too many horses in the starting gate for, for these jockeys, right? If, if I had any sense, if, if the have you ever noticed that if you go back and look at tape from like the mid 90 to like the Bailey's and the Stevens and um, the Antley's go back and look and see whether or not they, they have that situation with the starting gates. I don't ever recall having issues with the starting gate very often. No. Why? Because they're, they're superior race riders. They always have been. The guys now, they all they think about is, oh, I got a gun, I got a gun, I got a gun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose 20 lengths because all week that's all they hear about is, oh, this horse is gonna get the lead, and you know, we gotta go with him. And oh, I got the far outside. Well, why don't you just stay on the outside and wait until you can shuffle in? You're not gonna lose a lot of ground if you're on the outside in a mile and a quarter race at Churchill. You're starting from this. You're starting from a spot where you can't. So, that that's why I, I think it's more about the race riders than it is about that the gate. Even even before that, with the one hole. Yeah, that that certainly makes sense. And I don't think it's even a thing of you know, I've I've heard plenty of people say, "Will twenty horses is too much?" There's no other race in this country where twenty horses are allowed. And I mean, if you think about it, how many you know, I know the Derby is, there's so many horses that can be unsafe at times, but other than eight bells breaking down due to natural things that happened with her body, there was no interference here. When has there been a problem with 20 horses being in the Derby other than the disqualification of maximum security? When? No, I agree. And that was a, and that was a rider issue. That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't a gate issue. So, yeah, I I just, I don't, I don't understand people wanting to kind of cut that field, not necessarily in half, but down to, you know, 14 or 15 horses, the way the Oaks is that there's just stuff, you know, about people trying to change stuff that's sacred that just, you know, makes me upset. And I I just have your thoughts about that. (laughs) 16. No, I don't think it should be 16. I'm okay with 16. I, it, they make it harder for horses to qualify anyway. We're qualifying less American horses with the Japanese road to the Kentucky Derby and with the European road to the Kentucky Derby. So, so now my question to you, how many horses from Europe and Japan ran in the Kentucky Derby this year? A few Japanese horses have came over and ran in the Derby. I mean, they didn't last year and okay. you will never, you will never see a European horse come over and run on the road to the Kentucky Derby. It's not going to happen. Okay, so they so. need to get rid of that. The Japanese part, I'm fine because they breed some of the best horses in the world. They use 
our best mares and a lot of those horses will run on dirt and they will be more likely to bring horses over with the breeders cup that they've had but the european road to the kentucky derby i think it's stupid okay but it's there and it is there okay so you have 16 let's say you have 16 horses right mm-hmm. you get 16 horses you're not going to have that cavalcade you're not going to have that issue and i'm i'll tell you right now you can have six horses in that field and if four of them are speed horses and two of them aren't the two ho- and you draw two horses on the front two speed horses on the outside two speed horses on the inside and two speed and the two horses that aren't speed in the middle I'll guarantee you they'll still find a way to bump into each other. Oh, I'm sure. So it doesn't matter how many horses start, but I don't mind 16. 16 is a good round number. Yeah, there's been. I mean, the whole deal is, is a lot of those horses that qualify that are, that are 25th, 26th, 27th. If you didn't win, a, if you didn't finish in the top three or the top two, you don't deserve to be in the Derby. You just don't. Well, and then you could go back to, you know, horses like Mind That Bird, Giacomo, Country House. I mean, those horses don't really fit that bill, but Country House. Country House. Mind That Bird won a derby. Mind That Bird ended up winning a derby prep. Oh, yeah. He won the Gray Stakes, didn't he? Tell me, tell me how many horses. Tell me how many horses in that year that Country House won ran as often as he did at every single prep race. None. He ran twice in Louisiana, one once or twice in Oak, once at Oaklawn, and once in in uh, Kentucky, I think. If I'm mis- I'm trying to go off the top of my head, but he had almost four prep races before the Derby. How do you not how do you not give him the benefit of the doubt with all of those races? No, I'm saying you should, but if you take away, you know, some of those extra point spots, those types of horses, they don't get in. That horse would have gotten in off the points. He got on, he, he got in off the points. I'm not sure where he was at in the points list, but I mean, you think of horses, you know, like my boy Jack went the day well horses that blow up the exacta there's always a horse in the exacta every year that's 25 to one or more and i mean people spend a lot paying playing the derby superfecta and i mean if you don't take those extra spots those those types of horses don't get in and like i don't know about you but i don't like chalky kentucky derbies and that comes back into another thing that i want to talk about with you know everything that went on this year with the Derby and everybody knows what it is. We, we don't have to say it, but what do you think is going to happen with next year's Derby? You know, is Baffert going to be allowed to run or is he not? Cause I, based on what I'm seeing, these owners aren't backing down. They've got these horses with him. They're winning these Derby preps and they're like, yeah, we don't care. We, we think we'll be able to run in the end. Um, But honestly, I'm waiting to see what Churchill does. I think Churchill's going to end up, and I know you work for them, and I'm really sorry about this, but I think they're going to turn tail and run. That's what I think. I think I they're think- going to do what I think they're going to do what the Breeders' Cup did, and said, "Okay, fine. You can. You'll still run, but you're going to have to pay for every 
every little thing that you do, you have to notate and give us the information ahead of time. A month out or two months out. That's what's going to end up happening. And it's going to be a farce because some, because he'll end up winning it again because, you know, he'll find, I mean, whatever they're testing for, that's not getting caught. I think what, what my opinion is right now is I don't think it's going to be a Churchill problem. I think they will stick to their guns. The only thing that's going to make it a problem is the Kentucky horse racing commission. They may make Churchill do it. So I, I think Churchill is perfectly fine with saying, nah, we're good. But I think there is somebody that can make them ha- let him run in the end. And I don't know. I'm kind of 50, 50 with it right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen either way. There's nothing I've heard definitively on either side that I can kind of clue anybody in on. I, I just, I don't know, but I mean, I saw somebody bring up a good point on Twitter earlier. They're like, okay, either Baffert doesn't run and everybody's happy because he's not going to win the race or Baffert does run. And he has all the best horses right now in this three-year-old crop. There's no doubt about it. I mean, whether he's doing something nefarious or not, he has the best horses in this crop. So it's either he's not allowed to run and he's out of our face or he is allowed to run and the best horses get in the race. And I mean, I didn't even think about it like that before. Do I want him there? No, I don't. But are you going to have a derby that's full of horses that maybe, you know, these aren't the best horses? Do you kind of see what I'm saying? No, I see what you're saying, but you also got to remember that last year he only sent two to the Derby and how many horses did he actually have that were great horses, right? Yeah, true. I think good. he was absolutely shocked that Medina Spirit won. I was shocked to some extent, but I wasn't shocked based on the thoroughgraph numbers. Let's just, the thoroughgraph numbers said that the horse was going to run a big race. But you could also say that he could have gotten help too, kind of deal. Right. No, I, I completely agree with Which that. Which obviously but, he did, but we won't go there. Yeah, because when you think of, you know, he's got Courtney, who's going to be the two-year-old champion. Um, he has Newgrange, the one today. Rockefeller ran a good race today. And I mean, there's other ones. I can't even think of them off the top of my head, but there's like three more. And... I don't, it's just, it's such a, it's such a tough thing. And I mean, you know what the moral and just thing is, but we're talking about a game that's not moral and just. So. No. And I think, I think there's a lot of good things to the new Hisa thing, the new Hisa thing. And I mm-hmm. kind of also agree with, with Chuck, because I listened to his podcast on the way up to, to Kentucky this week um, with Barry at the end of the year. But I, I think there's some semblance to the fact that it's a good thing that the USADA didn't get involved with, with that whole testing deal. Um, but we'll see what happens. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's frustrating as far as being a, you know, being a fan or being a gambler to be able to get excited about a horse that, that probably likely is being juiced and, you know, unless you know, but like, you know, like I've always said, you got to follow the chemist. And if you know who the chemist is, you know, who's cheating. Well, I'm glad you brought up 
Kaisa, because this has been something that's kind of been super frustrating to me is I've seen stuff about it everywhere, but I feel like I know next to nothing about it. And I've read every article about it. There just seems to be a lot of mixed messaging and miscommunication going on with it. And then, you know, they made such a big deal about it. Like this is going to fix stuff. They never told you how we're going to pay for it. And a couple days later, just a couple of days before Christmas, a very convenient kind of drop news. They're like, oh, by the way, this is uh, stalled right now. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically you can thank the government for that. Um, because Heisa is a government deal. It's not like a horse racing regulated deal. Right. I mean, the government, I mean, basically, basically we can't take care of ourselves. So we have to have an outside influence do it. Right. So we have to get, the government involved to try to handle our business. And then when they try to handle our business, they realize how fucked up it is. And then they turn around and say, you can have it back. Which Basically honestly, what it is. It, it makes sense to me. And I'm not a person that wants the government involved in everything, but I think we have reached a point now where somebody else needs to put their hands in this and be like, let me see if I can fix this because clearly we have no central governing body, which is something that we all talk about all the time. But I, I, I'm just at a loss for words. I'm really just, I, I don't even know what to say at this point about all of it. And I've talked to a lot of people, you know, that are up close and personal with this heist and stuff. And I can't seem to really get the answers I'm looking for. Well, no, and you never will because... It's the government. Literally, it's the government. I literally talked to somebody the other day at the hockey game, uh, and they were like, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking the vaccine because I don't know what's in it." Oh, okay, fine. And then they'd go and they took a puff of uh, of clenbuterol for their asthma, and I'm like, "Do you know what's in that?" And he's like, "No, but I'm taking it." I'm like, "That's basically what, basically what." what's happening is the same thing with HISA. It's like, we don't know what's in it, but it sounds like it's a good thing. And maybe, you know, all we really want, all the, the one thing that everybody wants is a drug testing and limits for suspensions and making sure that it's all, it's all like uniform. I think honestly, that's all people want. Well, and my whole thing with the HISA stuff is nobody's ever said how this is going to be paid for because I'm telling you what, it damn sure better not be coming out of the better's pocket because between takeout and everything else, they get screwed enough. So it better not be anything like that. My only idea is it's going to, you know, be breeder incentives, owner money and stuff coming from the tracks. I mean, why not use all this money from the slots and try to pay for some things like that? Or when a foal is born, breeders have to pay a little bit of extra stuff on top. So it's just, it's been unclear to me because this is obviously going to be something that is expensive. It will be your tax dollars at work. <laughs> I'm serious. It's a government deal. They'll just add it to a tax. Right. Well, I would rather and my it's, tax it's go a to government, something like that. So here's the problem. It's a government deal. So technically they could, they could go back and say, Hey, look, you know what? We're going to start HISA. We have this governing body handling the testing. We have this handling it. Oh, and by the way, we're going to, you know, make sure that 
the taxes on this are taken out of every single person that pays taxes on winnings? Well, before we go down a rabbit hole, I'm going to kind of segue to one Thank of you. the last huge, <laughs> huge issues from 2021 that is going to be revisited one more time that being the breeders cup juvenile turf modern games debacle what is your take on running horses for purse money only what would you do differently with that to change the rules or you know are you okay with it kind of talk to me a little bit about that as a gambler i'm not okay with it um, right as an owner i'm okay with it uh but there needs to be a happy medium so here's the problem. Um, I remember back five, six years ago, I loved this horse at, might've been Belmont. It was Belmont. And the horse was 10 to one and it was a coupled entry. And I thought the horse, so both of them were running, but I honestly thought that the horse that didn't get scratched was the better of the two entries. And I singled him in a pick in a pick five and he won. And then I got screwed because he ran for purse money only. Um, so that way I'm upset. I think with the modern games debacle, I think, I think the biggest issue is the fact that they didn't bother to do it the right way with the, with the scratch, right. with the scratch. And that's where I have the problem. I don't have a problem with running for purse money. I, I mean, they flew the horse out all the way from Europe to run at least let them run for purse money, but it did hurt my, my checking account um, with him scratching. Um, yeah, I will agree. And I mean, if a debacle similar to that situation comes out, because I mean, obviously that's, that was a very unique situation. I guess my only suggestion obviously would be to, you know, there's not a lot you can do with the, pick four and pick fives. I mean, that those are really hard to change. I mean, getting the post-time favorite is not a super great solution either, especially if it's a favorite you really, really don't like. But I think in this situation, I heard Alan and Cece brought us talk about this and I absolutely agree with them. I think in that situation, they had plenty of time to do it and they should have at least allowed win play show wagering on that course. Agree. 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 I agree. So I, Go ahead. No, I agree with you. I'm not, I, I have nothing else to say. It, it could have just been done so much better. And I just, you know, hope and pray that that never happens again. But there was one thing I definitely wanted to kind of touch on before we move on to kind of our fake early eclipse, eclipse. ballots. Um, um, are we talking about SBC.com? What? Oh, no, we're not talking about SPC.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, not today. I was you going you, to. You don't want to tell people that you're leaving Goat Zoom Room for SPC.com? I'm not making my own website. That is just way <laughs> too much work and time I don't have. You already I, do have your own website. What do you need another one for? I don't need another one. And I don't need one where I'm going to be called SBC and doing hella work. <laughs> anyways kind of what i wanted to touch on and obviously i'm going to be putting out an article with 
goat handicapping this week about some of the horses we lost in 2021. Um, I've been doing the obituaries article for probably five or six years now. This will be my first one with our site, but just kind of wanted to go over some of the names of some really good horses we lost this year. Okay. Um, looking over my list right now, there's a ton of names. I have three pages of notable horses that passed away this year. Um, just some big names that are jumping out. Albert the Great passed away at Old Friends this year. Arazi passed away. I believe he was 32 or 33. He was pensioned down in Australia. Um, Balanchine, one of the first classic winners for Godolphin. Bernardini, very sad story there with him coming under some health issues this year and ultimately passing away. Um, Big Drama passed away in Florida this year. Boston Harbor, another Breeders' Cup winner, passed away from, I believe, laminitis in Japan. Um, Let me scroll down here a little bit. Cesario, that's a huge name from Japan. She unfortunately died after foaling, and she has given us so many great horses over there. Dan Seeley passed away just a few days ago, and he was a fantastic sire. English Channel, that one was especially hard to swallow for us Americans and kind of the little man breeder because he was just such an underappreciated horse. Galileo, I would say, was the one that tugged at my heartstrings for obvious reasons. This year, I knew he was very close to being pensioned anyway, but still, that made me sad. Goldakova, one of the all-time greats. Um, Laubon coming up, having a fantastic stallion career and then losing his life very mysteriously at Windstar after just being purchased by them. Lord Nelson, very sad into his story as well. And then another huge name, everything that happened with Medina Spirit. I just kind of... I that horse was dealt such a shitty hand in life and it just, it, it just pisses me off, but I won't say anything else about that. Um, pivotal, one of the all time best sires and broodmare sires in Europe, Saja personal favorite of mine. She won the Dubai Shima classic. She passed away from falling this year. Saki, another great from the 1990s, Santa Barbara was tearing it up over here and unfortunately lost her life to an injury sustained on the gallops Spicer cub really cool horse i'm sure everybody remembers that video he was a fun one Seely hill won the triple triple tiara over in canada and was good on all services she was a very neat horse and then finally i would probably say win approval the dam of two breeders cup mile winners as well as the approval who almost made it a three-peat in that race. She was a fantastic broodmare, and I know she was very much loved by her family down in Florida. So lots of names on this list, and I'll be putting the complete list out on the Goat Zoom Room website or the Goat website here this week. Something somber to talk about, but I feel like it definitely deserved to be recognized. But Andy, we will kind of move on and talk about, you know, the end of the year honors and where we see those awards shaking out we'll see kind of like our differing opinions so let me pull up the eclipse awards really quick and we will kind of just talk about that a little bit they're still about three years away or three years gosh three weeks away what am i talking about um all right champion two-year-old philly 
Okay. Are you going to give me the list or am I going to have to just like say that Echo Zulu wins for fun? <laughs> she does win for fun, but I mean, the nominations aren't out yet. So I guess just who you would vote for in that category. Echo Zulu. I mean, there's nobody else. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. I Nobody else should even get another vote. She should be a unanimous winner. Champion two-year-old male. Cornish. I mean, there's nobody else. Yep. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Um, champion three-year-old Philly. Oh, who do we got in there? I gotta think real quick here. Okay. There were several that were pretty good this year. Yeah, I know. I gotta, you know, my mind's a 50-year-old, so <laughs> I gotta remember who's, who's around this year. Here we go. Oh, uh, that's the, uh, Hey, uh, Ed, don't start with the three-year-old Philly power rankings the day of the th their three-year-old campaign. Jiminy Pete, man, you just screwed me up. Now I can't even look at it. Um, oh, geez. Well, I guess you kind of had to think back to the Kentucky Oaks this year. and Yeah, I know. You know, Malathot, Clarier. Maracuja. So Clarier, Clarier, no. Malathot, I would probably give the give the uh, nod to just because she's just good enough right now. So um, right now I would say I would say uh, I would probably say her. I would absolutely give it to her. I mean, fantastic campaign i thought she ran really well in the distaff as well so she would she would be my choice um three-year-old male very tough category <laughs> if it wasn't for the dirt mile i probably wouldn't be giving it to life as good um but i gotta give it to life as good i mean he was so impressive i mean okay. he was absolutely impressive I think I would give my vote to essential quality just because I know he didn't beat older horses this year, like a few of the other ones did, but he had the most complete campaign and I think ran the most visually impressive races. He raced the most, he kind of, you know, danced every dance and he retained that form from two to three. And I think he was the best one out of that group. So I would probably give it to essential quality. All right. Older dirt female. Older dirt female. Wait, before we get there, let me do the sprint first. Sprint female. Sprint female? Mm-hmm. Ay, ay, Why do you do that to me? <laughs> um, well, I mean, on the biggest stage, CC won it. So I've got to go with CC. I think I would agree with Cece. She won a couple other stakes races out in California and beat them when it counted most. So I, I would agree with that. Sprint horse. Man, I'm not giving it to Flightline. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I think Jackie's Warrior is still the best horse. Best horse. Um, so I'll, I'll give it to Asmussen and Jackie's warrior. I'm a little bit on the fence with this one. It would kind of be hard for me to decide. I'm torn between Jackie's warrior and Aloha West. 
because Aloha West had a sneaky, pretty good campaign this year. And I think, you know, Wayne Catalana did a fantastic job getting him ready for this race, but Jackie's warrior was ultimately the most impressive horse, but I'd be, I'm a little bit torn between those two, but I would probably side with Jackie's warrior because I don't think Jackie's warrior would have lost the breeder steps for it had he not been injured in the race and had an underlying injury. So I'd probably go with Jackie's warrior myself also, but it would be, it's a tough call. All righty. Older dirt female. Older dirt female. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's easy. Uh, Latruska. Yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> has to, has to be Latruska and the older dirt male I'm sure is easy. Wait, as well. I thought we, oh no, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So that comes down to the turf divisions. These are very tough in my opinion. And also going back to the sprint, um, you could also actually, never mind. No pause. All right. Female turf horse. Female turf horse. Mm-hmm. Oh, loves only you by a landslide. See, I asked this question on Twitter and everybody was like, loves only you only ran once here. Okay. But <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Her whole campaign was great. She showcased her best here. And in my opinion, Mabel ran one time too. A Breeders' Cup, and she got it. Yeah, and I I know Warlike Goddess has had a pretty good campaign, but it doesn't hold a candle to what Loves Only You did, even in one start here, and what she did around the world. So I I agree with that. What about? I would would go so far to say if you're, I wouldn't even take Warlike Goddess. I would probably take Althika or Santa Barbara. You could even give it to. Althika. <laughs> no, I, I I don't disagree with that at all. So I mean, both of them, both of them are kind of like worth it. What about the turf male? <sighs> okay, so people are going to hate me for this. Um, I'm wondering if it's the same opinion as I have. Space Blues gets my vote, but your beer is really close. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm so, I have never, ever been impressed with domestic spending. And I think Space Blues and Yabir doing what they did was incredible. I would probably lean toward Yabir because he won another big race here as well. But the horse ultimately, I feel like deserves it the most is actually Golden Pal. Really? I do. And I do think he could, you know, be eligible for sprint horse as well. But I mean, Stormy Liberal got the champion turf male horse for this same type of thing. But I mean, there were so many people that doubted that horse and he just shows up, shows up and shows up, beat an incredible field in the turf sprint and just seems to be scaling new heights every time he only lost one race this year. And it was a terrible day over in Europe where he just didn't run his race simply, but I mean, his record's unblemished other than that. So I would give it to Golden Powell. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of his. Um, And I think it goes back to my, uh, what I said way back, way back when in April of this year, when we first started, you know, when we did our podcasting uh, beginnings, but I honestly think horses that start running at at two and are four and a half per long horses for 
horses like Ward and Ennis and those guys that that are just dead set on getting two-year-olds ready right away um, don't have spectacular careers. And I always forget about Golden Pell, to be honest with you. He reminds me so much of No Name Ever. Yeah, he does. And I, I think he's better than No Name Ever, actually. So he, I've, I've always... I've always been a fan of his. He he just seems like one of those horses that's kind of forgotten, in all honesty. Yeah, definitely. I, he just seems like, you know, he's really underappreciated, in my opinion. Okay. So, we'll do jockey trainer and then, obviously, horse of the year. Who would you give the jockey award to? Outstanding jockey. Louis Sayed. Okay. I think. No, you know what? I take that. No, Luis Saez. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I think I would give my vote to Joel Rosario. Yeah. He'd be second. You know, it's so funny. Um, I always bring this up because I always laugh um, because I still remember the conversation I had with Bruno, but Bruno used to tell me that I would ride Joel's jock because there were certain races that I knew Joel was going to win. And I had to put him on top. And I would say, Joel is riding this way, so you got to play him. And I get the whole, Joel, is, Joel isn't that good, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you obviously don't know what you're looking at. Um, yeah, because yeah. he, he is far and away one of the most superior riders in the world, let alone this country. So yeah. he, he would get my award as well. Broke the all-time earnings record this year set by John Velasquez several years back. So yeah. he is mine without question. What about trainer? Um, Brad Cox. I I agree with that. And then horse of the year at the same time. One, two, three. Nick's go. Yeah, Nick's go. Nick's go. <laughs> well, Andy, it's been fun, and I feel like we covered a lot of bases. Talked about some positive, not so positive things. So you want to wrap it up? Yeah. First off, can you believe we've been doing this for a year now? I can't. I was just thinking about that the other day. Our anniversary was actually, I think, the week before Christmas yeah. of last year. Yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, we got a lot of new stuff coming up on the site. Um, we're uh, going to branch out a little bit, too, with some things, but we won't bring those up yet until it's time. But uh, we want to thank everybody for listening all year. We'd like to thank all of our guests who have come on countless times, uh, especially like Andrew Champagne, Jason Beam, Ed DeRosa. Who else are we missing? I guess, I guess, I guess we can give the guys on the wrong lead or whatever their name <laughs> is on the wrong side or whatever. I guess we can give them a shout out. Um, but during the Triple Crown Trail, I think we're going to go back to trying to do um, live racing stuff through Zoom. So we'll see if that'll work. God, I think I think that's a good idea. I like that. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.